Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Well, the moment we've been waiting some, what, 1,450 days more or less for, the moment we've been waiting four years for, Donald Trump is no longer president of the United States. He has uh, retired in disgrace and ignominy to his estate in Florida. It's so ironic that this man who presents himself as a billionaire apparently is actually farther in debt, actually has a negative net worth, but who has always presented himself as a billionaire has roused the masses, as it were, the teeming masses, people he would never, ever imagine inviting into one of his golf courses or to be members of his country club or to hang out with him at Mar-a-Lago. The very kind of people that he keeps out have been his most rabid followers for the last four years. And many of them now, I suspect, are waking up. Nate was just telling me that there's mourning going on in Facebook groups about Trump. I don't know if it's actual mourning or if it's people trying to troll, but Anyway, it's a fascinating phenomena. Let me know if you've noticed anything like that. Marty in Evergreen Parks, Illinois. Hey, Marty, what's up? Hey, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. You know, I wanted to just share some thoughts on, you know, everything that's going on. But more specifically, I was listening to a radio program on NPR, and they were talking about, you know, how people get radicalized in the right. And what I've noticed is that there's a lot of similarities to the way like ISIS recruits their members and the way that Stormfront and those other places recruit their members. ISIS is a right-wing movement too. And I think that Donald Trump is just a replaceable figurehead, just like Alice. It can be molded to whatever you want. He's not a person. He's an idea. He's a product. And he's gone, which is great. But we have to diligently be on the lookout for that next figurehead that's, you know, dumb enough to represent those views and empower where they can be use him as a figurehead, which is how I think that they got, you know, the popularity that they did. Not because Trump was any great person. He just, for whatever dumb reason, had ideals that aligned with theirs, and they were able to capitalize and monopolize on that and 
kind of use him to be this person that he clearly is not and represent ideas that he probably has no idea what people actually think that he believes. You know, I mean, I think these people gave him so much credit that he's now become so inconsequential that I don't know if these people are going to either wake up and realize, you know, just what a ruse, you know, that they've been under the cloud of misinformation that's been permeating through that whole movement, hopefully, or will they just find another figured head to replace him, which is what I hope doesn't happen. And if it does, we have to be aware of it before it gets out of control so we have to monitor those dark places on the web like parlor you know and it's a great thing that it got shut down but it's also you know now we also have to be aware of the next place where they're gonna congregate and and recruit more people into their you know white supremacist ideals which is clearly not aligned with the nations because what i witnessed the whole ceremony moved me. It was definitely a moving experience watching Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. You know, I just felt proud to be American again. There was just a nice, dignified aura. And I'm really glad that it wasn't interrupted, you know, by any of these idiots. And it was also moving to see Mike Pence there. I mean, to see him like, you know, finally, like standing up and, you know, it was just a real moving experience just witnessing it. You know, what was um, interesting about Mike Pence, Marty, is that whenever Joe Biden talked about lies, when he said the word, you know, no more lies in his speech, NBC cut to Mike Pence. Uh, when, when Joe Biden said violence in his speech, NBC, they cut their cameras to Mike Pence for a second. Yeah. Uh, almost as if to say, yeah, here we go. Um, I thought that was fascinating. But, but there is a reason why I am not so concerned that somebody's going to rise up and take Trump's mantle and lead this movement. I may be very wrong on this. I think I'm right on my analysis, but I may be wrong on the outcome. But here it is. In order to have a successful dictator or wannabe dictator who literally can rise to the level of president of the United States or that kind of power, who can create a cult-like following like Donald Trump did, like Charles Manson did, like Jim Jones did, like Adolf Hitler did. What you have to have is a unique combination of personality characteristics and skill sets that is actually, I think, far more rare than we realize. You have to have, first off, somebody who is highly functional in society. In other words, they can pull off behaving like a normal person even though they are a psychopath. So you have to have a high-functioning psychopath who understands the norms of society and can pretend to go along with them, number one. Number two, they have to be a genuine, full-blown, total sociopath, psychopath, willing to tell any lie and willing to believe their own lies, capable of believing their own lies. This is something most people can't do, right? Most people are just not wired this way to do that. And then number three, you have to have somebody who has just an absolute, on top of all of that, an absolute burning ambition to be in that position. And then number four, who has the competence and the network of people around him or her, but it's almost always a him, who can pull this off. You think of Josh Hawley, for example, or Ted Cruz or Tom Cotton trying to reach out to Trump's cult followers. Now, you know, the Republican base, yeah, sure, no problem. But the actual cult followers, the people who thought that Trump was the political messiah of our day, those guys 
I don't think they're sufficiently psychopathic. I don't think they're capable of carrying that kind of big lie on a continuous basis. And frankly, they're not as charismatic, anywhere near as charismatic as Donald Trump was, uh, which is, I guess, the fifth characteristic. You have to have somebody who has just extraordinary charisma, somebody who's capable of being a movie star, a television star, or a political rock star. Donald Trump encompassed all those things, plus he had a stroke of luck. There's a lot there to replicate, Marty. Can you imagine anybody right now on the political stage of America who could step up and fill that role? I realize Donald Trump Jr. is going to try to, and he may meet some of those criteria, but I think he's really just junior, you know? Oh, yeah. No, none of those Trump kids will ever rise to the prominence that that their father did. I don't see that in any of their futures. They've all been ridiculed and stained. And, and I think that and I think that the shame that that goes along with supporting that, you know, hopefully permeates throughout that entire movement. And, you know, I think this could be the great awakening, maybe seeing this inauguration and somebody who speaks presidential as the president of the United States is something that we all should support and not storm the Capitol over. Maybe these people will actually learn to give Kamala Harris and Joe Biden a chance to, like, actually lead us and, and, and have genuine leadership for a change um, might be seen as something refreshing because we've been lacking it for four years. I mean, that is a long time, you know, to go yeah. without and, any direction and genuine leadership. And these yeah, people and there were, there were a lot of people who who voted for Obama and then voted for Trump. Not a huge number, but I mean, you know, millions. You know, I think a lot of them are going to be waking up, too. Okay, thank you, Marty. Thanks for the call. We are venting, decompressing, analyzing, understanding, trying to make sense of the last four years and, and our hopes for the next four. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Joey in Des Moines, Washington. Hey, Joey, I didn't know there was a Des Moines, Washington. What's up? Hi, Tom. I just want to start saying I'm a 23-year-old young man that works with high school students and I see the proliferation of alt-right aesthetic among the kids that I work with. And I just want to say that I think we need to start with more positive millennials in Congress. I mean, Ossoff is going to be the only millennial Mm. in the Senate. And that is just so upsetting. And I think we need to start with, like, an invigorated Department of Education that really can engage in civic education and a Department of Justice that is not afraid to go after these white supremacist groups that spread this crap on the internet. You know, these, mm-hmm. these isolated kids that have been alone for a year in this pandemic, I mean, they're more susceptible yeah. than ever to this kind of stuff. And I've seen it amongst the kids that I work with, and it's terrifying. And the Republicans have Turning Point USA, led by Charlie Kirk, that young Republicans engaged to fight the safe spaces on college campuses. And I just don't see that kind of energy among people my age. I think that, you know, I mean, Bernie really got a lot of people my age going. I mean, that's when I really got involved with politics four years ago. And I think that we just need to carry that momentum through with Biden. And I also want to say that when I watched Biden, when he left Delaware, watching the commander in chief, cry on national television is such an incredibly important contrast after the past four Mm -hmm. years of apathy, irony, and antagonism that we have seen from this clown president. And 
When did, uh, I was kind of multitasking, getting ready to go on the air through much of Joe Biden's speech. When did he cry? Um, he was talking about uh, Irish poets and he quoted James Joyce as saying, when I die, I want Dublin written on my heart. And he got teary and had to pause for a second huh. and said he wanted Delaware written on his heart when he passes. Yeah. And I mean, I'm only 23, but I've never seen the president of the United States cry on live television. And I mean, yeah. it, it was so refreshing. And, you know, that's how we need to reach these young, mostly men that I work with in the public education system that can fall into these alt-right traps. They don't know how to mm -hmm. express emotion. And they fall into the cosplay of violence that we saw displayed on January 6th. You know, mm. these men that were dressed up as knights, as Vikings, you know, these images of paternalistic strength and courage that they were out there masquerading as this lie because mm -hmm. they don't have that sense of, they don't feel they can express their emotions. I mean, when they say feminism is just as good for men as it is for women, it's true. I mean, hmm. we all... So they're not grounded in themselves, you think? Yeah. And yeah. I just want to... Joey, I got to run, but I am totally with you. We need more young people. I mean, you know, when John Kennedy was elected, I believe one of the youngest presidents, there was just this explosion of young people coming into public service, you know, started the Peace Corps and all this other stuff. I hope that happens again. Joey, I got to run, but thanks for the call. Joan in Rochester, Minnesota. Hey, Joan, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, I was just thinking with Trump out at the White House, I think we ought to change our vocabulary a little bit. I think we should start using the word concern instead of fear, because when you have concern for things, you think about it, come up with ideas and solve the problems. And when they call the American people or say that we have fears and that reminds me of being frozen in space and in, and having the inability to do anything and I'm not complimented by that and I don't feel like I'm fearful I feel like I'm interested in what's going on I'm concerned with what's going on I want to try to see if I can help in some way I don't want to have pizza, anybody thinking me I'm sitting at home quaking in fear so I think the, the media and whoever, they need to take that word out of the vocabulary and find some complimentary words that describe, you know, the American people. Because I think yeah. that. But, but, that but let's, let's be clear, Joan. There were people who were living in fear as a result of the Donald Trump presidency. You had people of Hispanic ancestry yeah. around the country who were being continuously harassed. You know, are you an illegal? That kind of stuff. You had a president who was openly praising police brutality against black people. You had a president encouraging violence against liberals and progressives. You know, I lived through Richard Nixon and frankly through the worst part of Lyndon Johnson with the Vietnam War and never felt as outside yeah, of the possibility of ending up in that, Vietnam, I, never felt I like think, this. Yeah, I think using the word, you know, I know that people are living that way. And I understand that completely. But to use the words and forever, every day, to hear them mm. described that way is kind of like saying they don't have the ability 
maybe they don't have the ability to really help themselves. But if they thought they did and thought that they could talk together and come up with some ideas to help them counter that feeling or give themselves hope or do something like that. But I just think it's not a complimentary, and it gives you an image of what it means to be in fear. I think it gives you the inability to move or the inability to Yeah, no, I I absolutely get what you're saying, Joan. And in fact, Franklin Roosevelt talked about this in his inaugural, where he talked about, you know, nameless, paralyzing fear. Joan, I want to get one more call in before the break. Thank you so much for the call and for your comments. Beverly in Los Angeles, you lost friends because of Trump? Yes. Hi, Tom. The last time that I've been out of this house was when I attended about a year ago, a book signing that you and Greg Pallas held somewhere in Los Angeles. Oh, great. I remember That's the it. Last time. And I have, oh not seen, I have not seen my mother, who's been in a home, not like a big nursing home, but like a private home out here. But I haven't seen her for a year. Now I understand she has full-blown dementia, so she wouldn't know me on Zoom or any other thing. And every friend, every white friend that I have, I've lost. Because of Trump? Tell me, oh, yes. So they're all Fox watchers, and they tell me that I'm the crazy one, and they just delete me, you know, have deleted me as friends, or, or if I even tried to, like, stay in touch. People that I had been in my life, I mean, I started high school in 65 and graduated in 69 and never thought any of these people would ever leave me. And fortunately, I did go in Chicagoland to an integrated school from first grade on. It was integrated Mm. in 56. And those are the only friends, the people I could pick up the phone or text or anything to are the few friends that I still have so I feel wow. like very sad. I feel very lonely. You know, I've lost all these friends. Anyway, and then it just makes me despise Trump for everything that he's done to this country. And uh, I, even though I live out here in California on this time zone, I'm still an insomniac. So I watch Morning Joe a lot on MSNBC, who is really a Republican at heart. Anyway, and he seems to be waking up. Well, I hope so. I hope you're right. And um, I had him on when Trump was speaking, saying his goodbyes. I had to turn the volume down. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't hear another syllable coming out of that man's mouth. And I am afraid for the young people of today. I tried to talk to my granddaughter about what's yeah. going oh, on. Beverly, I'm, I, I'm sorry. We, we hit the break. We'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. 
you should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, for our book club today, we're reading from Bernie Sanders' book, Where We Go From Here, Two Years in the Resistance. This is from the introduction. During my campaign for president in 2016, I stated over and over again that the future of our country was dependent upon our willingness to make a political revolution. I stressed that real change never occurs from the top down. It always happens from the bottom up. No real change in American history, not the labor movement, the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the gay rights movement, the environmental movement, or any other movement for social justice has ever succeeded without grassroots activism, without millions of people engaged in the struggle for justice. That's what I said when I ran for president. That's what I believe now. That's what I've been working to accomplish over the last several years. At a time of massive and growing income and wealth inequality, we need an unprecedented grassroots political movement to stand up to the greed of the billionaire class and the politicians they own. And the good news is we're making progress. People in every region of our country are standing up and fighting back. In state after state, they're also taking on establishment politicians who are more concerned about protecting their wealthy campaign contributors than they are with the needs of the middle class and the working people they're supposed to represent. We're making progress when millions of people in every state in the country take to the streets for the Women's March in opposition to Trump's reactionary agenda. We're making progress when an unprecedented grassroots movement elects a young African-American as mayor of Birmingham, Alabama. We're making progress when tens of thousands of Americans turn out at rallies and town hall meetings to successfully oppose the Republican effort to throw 32 million people off health insurance. We're making progress when governors and local officials announce in response to student demands tuition-free public colleges and universities. We're making progress when over the past two years, hundreds of first-time candidates of every conceivable background run for school boards, city council, state legislature, and Congress, and many of them win. The good news is that the American people are far more united than the media would like us to believe. They get it. They know that over the past 40 years, despite a huge increase in worker productivity, the middle class has continued to shrink while the very rich have become very much richer. They know that for the first time in the modern history of the United States, our kids will likely have a lower living standard than us. The bad news is that instead of going forward together, demagogues like Trump win elections by dividing us. The bad news is that too many of us are getting angry at the wrong people. It was not an immigrant picking strawberries at $8 an hour who destroyed the economy in 2008. It was the greed and illegal behavior of Wall Street. It was not transgender people who threw millions of workers out on the street as factories were shut down all across the country. It was profitable multinational corporations in search of cheap labor abroad. Our job for the sake of our kids and grandchildren is to bring our people together around a progressive agenda. Are the majority of people in our country deeply concerned about the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality that we are experiencing? You bet they are. Do they believe that our campaign finance system is corrupt and enables the rich to buy elections? Overwhelmingly, they do. Do they want to raise the minimum wage to a living wage and provide pay equity for women? Yes, they do. Do they think that the very rich and large corporations should pay more in taxes so that all of our kids can have free tuition at public universities and colleges? Yep. Do they believe that the United States should join every other major country and guarantee health care as a right? Yes, again. Do they believe climate change is real? you got to be kidding. 
Are they tired of the United States of America, the wealthiest country in the history of the world, falling apart at the seams with roads, bridges, water systems, wastewater plants, airports, rails, levees, and dams either failing or at risk of failing? Who isn't? Further, a majority of the American people want comprehensive immigration reform and a criminal justice system that is based on justice, not racism or mass incarceration. Today, what the American people want is not what they're getting. In fact, under Republican leadership in the House, Senate, and White House, they are getting exactly the opposite of what they want. The American people want a government that represents all of us. Instead, they're getting a government that represents the interests and extremist ideology of wealthy campaign contributors. They want environmental policies that combat climate change and pollution and that will allow our kids to live on a healthy and habitable planet. Instead, they're getting executive orders and legislation that push more fossil fuel production, more greenhouse gas emissions, and more pollution. They want a foreign policy that prioritizes peacemaking. Instead, they're getting increased military spending and growing hostility to our long-term democratic allies. They want a nation in which all people are treated with dignity and respect and where we continue our decades-long struggle to end discrimination based on race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, and nation of origin. Instead, they have a president who seeks to win political support by appealing to those very deep-seated prejudices. During the last several years, I've worked hard in Washington, but I've also traveled to 32 states in every region of our country. I've seen the beauty, strength, and courage of our people. I've also seen fear and despair. I've talked to people with life-threatening illnesses in West Virginia who worry about what will happen to them or their loved ones if they lose the health insurance that keeps them alive. I've talked to young immigrants, dreamers in Arizona, who are frightened to death about losing their legal status and being deported from the only country they have ever known. I talked to a single mom, a young single mom in Nevada, worried about how she can raise her daughter on $10.45 an hour. I talked to retirees and older workers in Kansas who are outraged that as a result of congressional legislation, they could lose up to 60% of the pensions they paid into and were promised as deferred compensation for a lifetime of hard work. Bernie Sanders, where we go from here. And welcome back. We are processing the events. It is a national milestone, a major turning point, a historic turning point in the history of the United States. And so, uh, you know, picking up your phone calls on this, Sherry in Seaside, Oregon. Hey, Sherry, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I have just one word. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I'm just so thrilled, you know, every day coming home from work and just having to say, okay, what is Dump the Trump done? You know, I no longer have to say that, so hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and anything he does do now is going to be consigned to, you know, page 34 in the newspaper. I mean, it, it's just... I can't imagine that that most Americans even want to hear from him or about him any longer. I mean, I'm over it. And I think the news media, and and I'm speaking for myself in small part here, are going to have to go through a Trump withdrawal. I mean, you know, it's like we've got we've got to look at other things. There's been such a, such a sense of danger, you know. It's like if you if you're crossing a street and you get right to the middle of the street, you know, in a crosswalk in a large busy street, and suddenly the light changes and you're standing there right in the middle of the crosswalk on the yellow line, and suddenly you got cars whizzing by you in both directions really really fast. You know, in that moment, all 
all you can pay attention to is the danger. And I feel like we've been there for four full years of, oh my God, what's next? And every day there's another, oh my God. And I am so looking forward to not feeling like that, to sleeping well at night, to having conversations with people like you, Sherry, and, and all you know, our, our other listeners and callers about, about things that are meaningful, you know, getting back into talking about science and, and big political ideas and understanding the, you know, how we got here and all this kind of stuff. Forgive the rant, but uh, Sherry, uh, your thoughts. Yes, hallelujah. I mean, all that is, you know, I've talked to friends. I've been a Republican. I've been a Democrat. I'm independent now. And I'm like, how in the world did this happen? Like, why are you still for this man? And literally, they'll tell me things like, he's for the sanctity of life. He's for family. Mm -hmm. He's for, I'm, I'm just like, I am so floored how that, they cannot see that it's just the opposite that you know all the lies that just spew out of well he even tried to talk marla maples into an abortion (laughs) i mean you know this is the pro-life guy really give him a pass you know yeah and you know his second wife yeah no, I, I, I get it, Sherry. Sherry, I, I'm going to move along, but thank you very much for the call, and hallelujah, back at you. I'm, I'm totally with you. Mary in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, Mary, what's on your mind today? Tom, I'm concerned about the power-sharing agreement. What's McConnell cooking up with Schumer? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm not particularly concerned about that. There's actually a story here that is a little more complex than the average newspaper can handle. Right now, the Senate as a whole has one extra vote on the side of the Democrats, right? So, you know, if you include the vote of Kamala Harris as president of the Senate, we've got 51 Democrats and 50 Republicans. So Chuck Schumer is put in charge of the Senate and the Democrats control the Senate and they can pass legislation that doesn't require, you know, that doesn't encounter a filibuster. But in order for legislation to get to the floor of the Senate, it has to go through committee. And every single one of the committees, the makeup of the committees is typically a reflection of the makeup of the Senate as a whole. So in other words, if the majority of the Senate is Democratic, then you may have one extra member on a committee, which gives the committee a Democratic majority, and the leader of the committee is a Democrat. Or if it was a Republican, same thing. But right now, Kamala Harris doesn't figure into this equation. So right now, Congress is 50-50, which means that all of the committees in the Senate are 50-50, which means there's no clear person in charge of them. So this kind of backs Chuck Schumer into a corner because he can't force legislation through committees, and they have to go through committees to get to the floor, generally speaking, you know, under regular order. So what he's trying to work out with Mitch McConnell, or may have already done so, is a situation where the committee system can be functional. And what I've read, and I haven't seen a final analysis of this, and if anybody has, let me know. I've been looking around for it, and it's just like, this is the kind of stuff, the minutia that gets just lost in the, in the river of information that, that's coming out you know, in a historic moment like this. But what I understand is that McConnell has agreed to allow all the committees in the Senate to be led by a Democrat. But the problem is, of course, that the Republicans and the Democrats are 50-50 on the committees, and that can prevent a majority vote, which can prevent legislation from moving to the floor. So at that point, McConnell has some power over Schumer, and they got to work that out. 
And I don't know exactly what they're doing or how they're doing it, but that's what everybody's talking about when they're talking about power sharing. They're not talking about, you know, uh, Chuck Schumer saying, hey, Mitch, I, be my good buddy here. I'll split my pot. That's not what they're talking about. And when it comes to votes on the floor of the Senate, the Democrats have every intention of steamrolling Mitch McConnell at every opportunity. Did I uh, reassure you? A little. I just don't trust McConnell, and I think the Dems yeah. give in too often. Yeah. I don't trust him either, but the good news is neither does Chuck Schumer. He has seen Mitch McConnell at his worst. Mary, thank you for the call. David in Sonora, California. Hey, David, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's up? Hi, Tom. First of all, congrats to all of us, and thank yeah. God for Nancy Pelosi's strength. Yes, uh, I agree. The, and her wisdom. The, uh, yes. I was going to talk about the things that divide this country, that divide us, which is things like gun control, religion, homosexuality, abortion. But the main thing is really just racism, which is what is dividing us. And the ironic part of it is that racism actually has no biological basis. DNA in the last 20, 30 years have proved we all come from Africa. Every single one of us come from Africa. Every race. There's no such a thing as race. That's a made-up word. So if that is taught to people, maybe they can realize that there really there's not that much difference between all of us, and we can work together. That's my idea. Maybe the stolen for you and John Lennon. Black, yes, maybe <laughs> you know? the stolen for black. Yes, imagine. Maybe the slogan for the Black Lives Matter is really should be changed to we all come from Africa, or ancestors come from Africa, or something to that effect that we're all the same. The, well, the I don't think they need to change their slogan, but, but I get what you're saying, David. And, and more and more white people, I believe, I really believe this, even in spite of all the racism that Donald Trump has cranked up, I think more and more white people are leaving behind preconceptions, misconceptions, misunderstandings, or even just plain old flat out stupidity, bigotry, or hatred and waking the hell up. And I think that's a really good thing. And I'm hopeful that, you know, going forward, it, it continues. David, thank you for the call. John in Petersburg, Illinois. Hey, John, what's up? Hello there. This is John. I hope that with all this over now, everybody can get together and get on with the business and quit giving Trump so much airtime. Yeah. Oh, I, th Trump. I think he's come to an end. And talk about the future of the country and the, getting the coronavirus over and getting the business of the country on. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly what's going to happen, John. I, Joe Biden has like dozens of things that he's doing, you know, executive orders he's signing, changes he's making, people he's firing, people he's bringing in. There is so much to do, you know, which is kind of the bad news. The good news is that he's been planning this for several months. He's got it together. He's got a great team. He's got a great staff. He's got wonderful people around him. He has the support of most of the nation. I think the, the vast majority of Americans want America to work and they want Joe Biden to be successful. And all those things add up, I think, to a very positive outcome. John, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. We'll be back. We're continuing our conversation about what this means to you. What did the Trump presidency mean to you? Did you, you know, lose friends, family, the coronavirus, general insanity? What hopes do you have for the future? What does Joe Biden mean to you? We'll be back with your calls right after this. 
Hey, we have a new video from over at TomHartman.com. It's about curing type 1 diabetes, which is a pretty amazing thing. Type 1 diabetes is where the uh, cells in the pancreas that produce insulin are actually destroyed. They're gone. Type 1 diabetics, uh, typically it shows up in childhood, and uh, without insulin, people die from it uh, fairly young. With insulin, they can live a good long life, but a University of Alberta researcher, Dr. James Shapiro, back in 1990, pioneered a transplant system. Now, the problem with that was that people had to use immunosuppressive drugs for the rest of their lives because they had just gotten you know, a partial pancreas transplant from another person. But now he's successfully worked out a way of actually curing type 1 diabetes. We can't do it legally here in the United States, but they're doing it in Canada. It's amazing. You can check it out at TomHartman.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And this moment in time for me, I got to say, for the first time in years and years, I really feel like I can take a deep breath, like I can relax, finally. So anyhow, okay, where was I? Mike in Chicago. Mike, you're on the air. Hey, Mike. I just wanted to kind of present my observations and been watching social media feeds and the sense is that the whole country's blood pressure went down, which I guess is Trump's health care plan kicking in. <laughs> I think well, you're right. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing I was calling about is I'm a little surprised that nobody has discussed the significance of the weather today in D.C. of minus 45. Wait a minute. It couldn't have been minus 45. What are you talking about? <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> oh, minus 45. Oh, I get it now. 45th president, Donald Trump. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. Sometimes I'm a little slow. Um, for a minute there, I thought, what? No. But yes. I do, I do want to yes. state this for the Thank record, the Lord. okay? Because I can, mm. I've been watching you here and, you know, with the sound down because I've been on hold. And I'm just watching your face. And you've been smiling more so today than I have been seeing you smile over the course of the last four years. Yeah. You just, the smile good. just comes in inadvertently, sometimes yeah. almost for no reason at all. I am feeling good. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. And, and, and yes, minus 45. Brilliant. Daniel in Manchester, New Hampshire. Hey, Daniel, what's on your mind? I kind of wanted to ask a question of you and the rest of your listeners. How do you deal with Trump supporting relatives and friends? I was floored to hear this morning that not only is Biden starting his day with he invited the leadership of both parties to join him. And I don't remember Trump doing that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And then I asked my wife, I know her parents are avid Trump supporters. And for some reason, even though Biden walks, uh, talks the talk and walks the walk, they're still Trumpers. And I'm curious mm. as to what they think about, you know, the, the leader of the opposition walking the walk they uh, claim to, and not only that, inviting his opposition, inviting the Trump party yeah. that Trump didn't even invite. So right. what do well, we Daniel, do I have a couple of that? relatives who, you know, I follow on Facebook. They're like, you know, nephews specifically who are Trumpers. And I've never engaged them. I, I just always avoid it. One of them started just posting hysterically a week or so ago, and I just unfriended him. I didn't want to watch any more of it. But 
I think if if I was in direct contact with people who were Trumpers, I would just not bring it up. I would let them bring it up. I would listen to them vent. I would say, well, okay, and then I would change the subject. I just don't see any percentage in, you know, further ruining relationships by talking about Donald Trump with, you know, with people who are still enthralled to the cult. Does that make sense? I guess that's the key: is do you value the relationship? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, you know, blood is thicker than water, as they say. You know, I mean, we, there, there are important people in our lives, and, and I think we just have to let that go by. We won. I mean, that's the thing. Be graceful in your victory. Don't rub it in. You know, we won. America survived a wannabe dictator. And there's some people who still think he's a great guy. You know, let them think it. It's not our job to convert them. Time will do that. Daniel, thank you for the call. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. NetSuite.com slash Hartman. That's NetSuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On the Science Revolution this week, will AI robots destroy the human race? And why does AI intelligence bond more with the far right? John Noel from Greenpeace USA is here on how he thinks big oil and gas funded the attempted coup on January 6th. Latricia Adams of Black Millennials for Flint drops by saying, finally, charges on the Flint water crisis. It's been more than six years since the Flint water crisis began when the children of Flint were poisoned by lead and by their governor. Plus, in our geeky science, there's a new study out, and guess what? Eating chili peppers could add years to your life and could cut your risk of cancer and heart disease. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. Randall in Minneapolis. Hey, Randall, thank you for listening to AM950 KTNF. What's up? Thank you, Tom. Yeah, I just had premonitions ever since the assassination of John Kennedy, and I'm so grateful to you for keeping me from giving up. The first premonition was that we would be like Russia someday, right after his assassination. And I saw that come to fruition. The second one was I saw these people, these followers of Trump, in a parade, and we all stood alongside on a curb, ten abreast, watching them run down the street and off a cliff. And the hmm. premonition came true with them going after the Capitol a couple of weeks ago. That's what I got out of yeah. it. 
Yep, I think that's what happened. Let me tell you the third one was, I learned from the Bible, the first verse I ever learned right after John Kennedy's assassination was, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give him something to drink. And by so doing, it's as heaping hot coals on their forehead. And so I tried to the best of my ability all my life to go with that, not understanding it. And today I see this come to fruition too, where we've given them the far right, everything they've wanted, and I've seen it coming since Nixon, especially Reagan, and, and all this time I was wondering, why do I have these things come to me? There's nothing I can do about it. Well, now I know. Oh, today, by the way, is my grandmother's birthday, and she is magical, and I see all my, all my premonitions coming to tuition, and uh, I couldn't be happier, and I want to thank you for keeping my spirits up through it all. My pleasure, Randall. It's been my own therapy as well. You know, being here and sharing every day with, with people like you, Randall, has, and having an obligation, frankly, to bring something to the table other than fear or despair. You know, I borrowed Bernie's old slogan, despair is not an option. And, and it's like we've had to do that. And I think we've formed a community and, you know, we will move forward in positive ways. And I'm just really, really hopeful. I, and to your premonitions, I feel like this is a very powerful spiritual moment. I feel like the spiritual world has been shaken and has been hurt over the last four years, is now healing and recovering. I'm not dismissing the idea that nature has something to do with this as well. Randall, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. I appreciate your kind words as well. We'll be back with more of your calls right after this. It's a momentous You're day in history. to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. It's, as I said, the place where despair is not an option. Hey, we're on the other side of it, aren't we? Welcome back to the Tom Hartman Book Club. Today we're reading from Point to Point Navigation, a memoir by Gore Vidal. This is from the last two chapters, and we're reading from page 258. In 1961, a new president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, was inaugurated at the age of 43. With him, a new generation had taken the crown from the older generation as represented by General Eisenhower. There was triumphant talk of a new frontier, presumably to be crossed by all of us into a bright new land where the only shadow that marred the prospect was that of the hideous, murderous specter of international communism centered upon the Soviet Union against whom JFK had sworn to bear any burden to ensure the ultimate victory of freedom, liberty, and so on. But early on, starting in 1959, under the general direction of then-Vice President Richard Nixon, who had many interesting Cuban mob connections, yes, B.B. Rebozo, his mysterious friend, was also linked not only to mobsters, but to the Cuban dictator Batista, who had been overthrown by Fidel Castro to the annoyance of the mob, an annoyance that turned to fury when Castro shut down, if only briefly, the mafia-run Havana casinos. Elements of the CIA were soon attempting to murder Castro, who, like all Nixon enemies, was, if not yet a communist, worst a communist dupe. The presidential election of 1960 was a close one, fought by Nixon and John Kennedy, an attractive Massachusetts senator whose father had, ironically, dealings with many mobsters during the pre-World War II period, as well as at the time of the prohibition of alcohol. The late film producer Ray Stark told me how, during the short presidency of JFK, Joe Kennedy and Frank Costello, the retired New York mob overlord, would often have dinner at Kennedy's Central Park South apartment and rehash old crimes, often in the country of a retired teamster who gave great massages. 
Joe's mob connections were useful to Jack in the 1960 election and could easily have saved JFK's life in 1963 had Bobby Kennedy, in the interest of building himself up in the public eyes, not started arresting important mobsters, particularly in the so-called Appalachian Mob Conference bust, where they had all come together to confer about the secession of the leadership of the New York mob. I've long since forgotten how I first heard of the plot to kill JFK, while I had no idea at all of the Kennedy brothers' plot to kill Castro on December 1st, 1963, until I read a recent book by Lamar Waldron and Tom Hartman called Ultimate Sacrifice. It was assumed that the Cuban Missile Crisis of 62 had sufficiently alarmed JFK and Castro's mentor Khrushchev so that they jointly backed down, putting an end, so everyone thought, to such dangerous adventures. JFK had pledged not to invade Cuba if Castro would allow inspections of any remaining missiles on the island. Since Castro did not cooperate, JFK then regarded his pledge as inoperative. In the spring of 1963, according to Ultimate Sacrifice, more a literal than an ironic title, John and, quote, John and Robert Kennedy started laying the groundwork for a coup against Fidel Castro that would eventually be set for what they called C-Day, December 1st, 1963. Bobby, like Nixon before him, was in charge of what would be the most secretive operation of its sort in our history. Since the CIA had, in the eyes of the Kennedys, botched the 1961 Bay of Pigs invasion, the Department of Defense was to be in charge of this adventure, which would first engage mob hitmen to assassinate Castro and then replace Castro with a provisional government that would implore the United States to come to its aid and restore order. Ours is a society riddled with plots of every kind, from, let's say, one to bribe certain members of Congress to cheat Indians off of their casino money, to the financing, often secretly, of numerous presidential elections, while, simultaneously, great companies like Enron cheat customers, stockholders, and employees. Yet everyone who draws attention to all of this corruption is quickly denounced as a conspiracy theorist who means to undo the great fiction that anything truly wicked, at least in the murder line, must be the work of a solitary, lone nut who is simply evil. Hence the setting up of Lee Harvey Oswald as the lone, crazed killer of JFK, Despite his own brief but presumably accurate statement after his Dallas arrest, I'm the patsy. Then, as planned, his being gunned down by Jack Ruby, a fellow CIA asset. Oswald, as lone killer, for no reason at all, and an addled Ruby, a one-time Chicago mobster who claimed to be deeply worried about the stress all this must be causing the widow Kennedy. And he goes on in Chapter 55. Ultimate Sacrifice describes how the Kennedy C-Day plan was penetrated by three mafia godfathers, Carlos Marcello, New Orleans, Santo Traficante, Tampa, Florida, and Johnny Roselli out of Chicago. All three were being vigorously pursued by Attorney General Robert Kennedy, along with a dozen of their associates, of whom six were also working on the Castro murder case. The crime bosses then used parts of the C-Plan, a.k.a. AM World, to arrange JFK's assassination in a way that would prevent a thorough government investigation. In order to protect the coup plan, its participants, as well as, naturally, national security by invoking the secrecy surrounding the C-Plan. The mob bosses targeted JFK twice before Dallas, once in Chicago on November 2nd, JFK called off his motorcade, and then in Tampa on November 18th, he survived unscathed. Ultimate Sacrifice reveals and details why Robert Kennedy later told several close associates the name of the godfather, Carlos Marcello, who had ordered his brother killed. But he couldn't do anything about it for fear the Soviets might go to war. Ironic and tragic action. I recalled when over the years I'd asked why that what happened at Dallas happened, I'd answer because Bobby had broken a truce made with a mob by Joe Kennedy in 1960. The book, Point to Point Navigation by Gore Vidal.
Randy in Kentucky. Hey, what's on your mind today? Hello, good to talk to you today. Uh, I have some friends and neighbors and even some family members that are Christians, and they are so concerned about communism and what they think may happen. What is going to go on with these people that they don't understand that well, they are a, already- they don't understand Christianity, but B, I got an email this morning from Adam Brandon of FreedomWorks. Here's what he sent me. FreedomWorks, of course, is the organization that the Koch brothers helped fund and launch and toss into reality that brought us the Tea Party, you know, the taxed enough already and the anti-Obama and keep your government hands off my Medicare. In the first years of the Obama administration, all that effort, FreedomWorks was one of the major organizations that was pushing that. And so here's the letter. Dear Thomas, once the Biden family sets up shop in the White House, Democrats will control the entire federal government, entires in all caps. To put it bluntly, freedom-loving Americans are facing an all-out nightmare. That's the sad result of the panicked lockdowns of Joe Biden's dark winter and the hysteria of big tech, the fake news media, and the Democrats have dragged our nation into. I wish it were only a virtual train wreck. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi are stoking the fires of, but I'm afraid the danger couldn't be more real. Then, Thomas, the Democrats plan to start their socialist remake of America in earnest. Schemes to eliminate the filibuster, fix the Supreme Court, and grant statehood to D.C. and Puerto Rico are only the beginning. Democrats think they have a mandate to cement raw power. And those words are capitalized, italicized, and underlined. Raw power over you and me for a generation. And ram, another word in all caps, ram through their entire socialist agenda, including, and now we have four bullet points here, open borders and imposing taxpayer-funded free health care programs for illegal immigrants, a wealth tax on money already earned and taxed, you can kind of tell there's billionaires behind this, right? Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's de-New York Socialist Green New Deal and passing H.R. 1, the GAG Act, to stifle the ability of organizations like FreedomWorks to fight back against their schemes. You and I are already witnessing the silencing of conservatives by big tech and the fake news media. By the way, the silencing of conservatives was the theme on both Sean Hannity's show and on Tucker Carlson's show. This is their new buzz phrase. Conservatives are being silenced. You and I have to show Joe Biden and his socialist pals they are wrong, wrong, wrong. They must be put on notice that despite the left's attempts to silence us, grassroots conservatives will not go away. And then, of course, you know, click the link and send us money. But that's what these people are hearing. And FreedomWorks is like considered not a nutcase organization, right? FreedomWorks, this is not some QAnon or something. This is a mainstream conservative organization that led the charge against Obamacare that killed the public option. They're declaring war. That's the right-wing billionaires in the Coke network right there. That's what they're saying. And so, you know, it shouldn't be surprising at all that your friends are believing this, Randy, because it's going to be all over the place. (laughs) I tried to explain to them that we would never do things like that, that they're just out of their minds. I don't don't know what they're talking about. And they just swear that it's going to happen. 
And I said, nobody. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, the, the Coke fortune is founded in oil. And they run oil refineries. They're one of the largest suppliers of oil in the United States. And the Green New Deal is all about getting America off oil. And obviously, it's not just Charles Koch. There's a bunch of other right-wing billionaires, fossil fuel billionaires, or billionaires who made their money in other industries aligned with it, who are, who are there too. So it's enlightened self-interest, but it's also ideology. These people are, at their core, libertarians. They believe that government is a bad thing, that government should only provide the military and the police, period, full stop. That's the only legitimate function of government and courts. And that everything else is socialism. Unemployment insurance is socialism. Free public roads are socialism. They should be turned into tollways. Social security is socialism. Medicare is socialism. Unemployment insurance, I think I already said that. Um, uh, you know, uh, Health clinics, uh, public libraries. Uh, it's all, so fire departments, it's all socialism. Right, and they want to yeah, public schools. That's socialism in their mind. So maybe, Randy, this could be an opportunity for you to engage your Christian friends, who perhaps have not read Matthew 25, to engage your Christian friends in either a a discussion of what is Christianity really. I mean, you know, there's one moment in the Bible where the disciples came to Jesus and said, "How do we get to heaven with you?" And he gave them a very explicit answer, and it's in Matthew 25, where he said, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, house the homeless, heal the sick, visit those in prison. And they were all freaked out because they had never seen him sick or hungry or whatever, but that's a whole nother rant. So either to have a conversation about what does Christianity really mean, or why do you think that, ha- that Medicare is socialism? And why do you think that extending Medicare to people who are under 65 would be the end of the republic? How, how is that possible? How, does it, how do you even think that way? I mean, you know, it seems like a great, I, I would love some of those people to call this show. I'd love to have that conversation with them. And, and then they say that all those things are good if they were not forced upon you. And if they say, if they, if they do it freely, that God wants to do these things freely, they say. And, and not be taxed on it and not be forced to do it. It's like slavery, they say. And I say, well, look, you're already... Right, I haven't... Churches ...and these 501c3 churches, yeah. you put on, that was put on you back in 1954, but you know that you are in with the system. You, the IRS puts all these regulations on you when you, when you sold yourselves uh, back in 1954 with LBJ. Uh, they just don't can't get that. They just don't understand that they're in with the system now. They're communists because everything goes through taxes. And when you get a tax, you have to give something yeah. up. They gave up all their voice. And, you know, they Randy, speak Randy it's mostly older people who are hearing this. Because when they hear socialism, they think of the Soviet Union which didn't work. I was, you know, I, I, I was there when I was the Soviet Union. It didn't work. But that's what they think socialism means, or Castro's Cuba, which they think is a dystopia. I've been there too, and it's actually not that bad. But, you know, it's still not what you would call a bastion of, of freedom. But nobody's talking about that. There is no Democrat in America who is talking about turning America into the Soviet Union. I know, that's what I tell them. I said, don't worry about all these things that you hear on these other shows. Yeah. Yeah, they're just trying to whip you up because, you know, some billionaires don't want to lose their oil revenue or their or have their uh, their wealth taxed. Randy, thanks a lot for the call. It was a great one. We'll be back here on the Tom Hartman program as we uh, process the dawning of a new day in America. 
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. The Hartman Report is a free daily podcast, seven days a week, and you can find our entire three-hour podcast over at TomHartman.com. David in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, David, what's in your mind? According to the age of Aquarius, racism will be eliminated, but that's in the future, your children's grandchildren. The antidote is prosperity. And while sincere ignorance and conscious stupidity are bad things, they're not the worst thing. The worst thing is willful, arrogant ignorance, like George W. Bush used to do. Okay, I'll accept your definitions. I would say, though, that at the time of maximum prosperity in the United States, which was between basically 1960 and 1980 during that 20-year period, there was still certainly a hell of a lot of racism in the United States. But I also get your point, and I think that I don't think anybody acts out racism out of economic insecurity, but I think what economic insecurity does is it rattles all of society. And as all of society gets rattled, stuff starts shaking loose, right? And people start falling out and on it goes. Bill in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? I appreciate your uh, taking my thunder, so to speak. I just wanted to say that history is repeating itself with what happened after the Civil War in New Orleans. After the Civil War, there were street gangs that took over the city of New Orleans. And in 1874, you had street gangs that took over the state capital in the French Quarter. And they surrounded the state <laughs> arsenal and got all the guns and kidnapped a duly elected Republican governor who had been elected by, the, by black folks. This was happening all over the South, wasn't it? Between uh, eighteen, basically between eighteen seventy-two and eighteen seventy-six, and it's one of the yeah. things that was used to justify basically ending Reconstruction in eighteen seventy-six and that compromise with uh, Hayes and Tilden. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. It was after the street riot in eighteen seventy-six, I believe it was. Yeah. I've got to learn more about that time in history. It sounds fascinating. Bill, thanks for the heads up on that. And thank you for being with us today. We'll be back same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you, to participate, to show up, to be there. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.